0: This is A Disciple's Point of View, One Disciple's Perspective on God's Word. My name is Craig, and I'll be your host today as we go through a myriad of topics related to Christianity. Welcome to week eight of the series entitled Tumultuous Times. We're going to cover today the bowl judgments uh, that are outlined in Revelation chapter 16. By way of a little bit of a recap, we'll go over real quick. we've already covered here in the series tumultuous times the first two episodes were about the signs that we're seeing in our current world that is leading up to the tribulation period which was the subject of episode three the tribulation week four was about the rapture of the church god removing his people off the earth prior to the tribulation week five is about the antichrist himself the one man that will rise up to be the world's final ruler and the false messiah that he proclaims himself to be to the nation of Israel. And then week five was talking about the, actually, I'm sorry. Week six was about the seal judgments that happens after Antichrist begins to rise to power. Actually, he is the first seal to be loosened upon the earth in judgment. Week seven was about the trumpet judgments. And now we're in week eight. We want to talk now about the bowl judgments. And the last trumpet judgment saw a proclamation that God has retaken the earth for his own kingdom and the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 19, the Ark of the Covenant was seen in the temple of heaven. And with the bold judgments, there is a voice that is heard from the temple. And I believe that it's referencing the temple that was seen and described at the end of the trumpet judgments with the seventh trumpet judgment that was given. Now, here's another thing to consider. Okay, we've seen the severity of the seal judgments that was a loosening of mankind's inhibitions in his sinful behavior towards their fellow man and at the very end there was a supernatural judgment that was rendered in a great earthquake we saw the trumpet judgments and now we're starting to see judgments coming from the outside in and it's not just simply god loosening mankind against each other with those two series of judgments the first one in the seal judgments we saw two billion people killed and we're also assuming with a current world's population of 7.8 billion, rounded up to 8 billion, just to make the illustration a little bit easier. Not that this is an easy topic whatsoever, but just so for the sake of argument, we don't have to deal with a lot of decimal points. At any rate, 2 billion people are killed in the seal judgments and around 2 billion or so are killed during the trumpet judgments. So, and that is just specifically the deaths that are outlined so far there are a bunch of other judgments such as the uh the waters that were turned bitter or um uh, undrinkable that res- was said to result in quote unquote many deaths in one w- another one of the uh, trumpet judgments the third of all the world ships were destroyed and i don't think they were probably unmanned at the time they likely had people on board with them as well so there are other judgments that are rendered that likely result in quite a number of deaths as well that we're not given specific numbers on. But at the very minimum, we're looking at probably about a little uh, over half of the world's population, if we're going with a current world population, has been killed during these judgments. We gotta remember one thing whenever we're talking about that much death and devastation. We got to remember that sinning against God and rebelling against God already carries a death sentence. That's an unpopular truth, but it's a truth nonetheless. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, God proclaims the soul that sins shall die. The difference with Christians, however, is we believe and trust that Jesus took that punishment upon himself on our behalf. He was then resurrected from the dead as a validation that God accepted that and renders it as a truth. And this is the last of the series of three of the three judgments. So we already described the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and now these are called the bowl, B-O-W-L judgments. And they are by far worse. With the first bowl judgment, it's outlined in Revelation chapter 16, verses 1 through 2. And a voice, like I said before, comes from the temple that's mentioned in uh, chapter 11 of Revelation and tells seven angels to gather their bowls to pour out God's wrath on the earth. Again, it's emphasized in each of the series of judgments that these are God's wrath and not man's wrath. It's not Satan's wrath, but God's wrath. Now, do we see illustrations of quote unquote man's wrath that is poured out upon the earth? Like I said before, the sealed judgments are a loosening of the inclinations of people to not necessarily treat each other the way they always want to. It's the constraints of God that are taken away. And so men start to kill one another and everything that results in general world war that breaks out because of that is a result of the other sealed judgments. And it's... You know, you do see Satan's wrath as well. He does kill a whole bunch of Christians. That's uh, the fifth seal judgment. We see a whole bunch of Christians under the altar of God, and they're calling for God to avenge them upon the earth because they were killed during the tribulation. Most likely Satan just or the Antichrist energized by Satan just went on a killing spree of a whole bunch of Christians and likely Jewish people as well. However, they're told to wait for a little while, and they're given a a white robe and to have patience. Okay. Now, the first bowl, let's just go ahead and detail what it is, is harmful and painful sores that break out on people who have worshipped the beast. The image of the beast and accepted his mark is detailed in Revelation 13. Okay this is important to mention in revelation chapter 14 three angels make proclamations to people on the earth at that time so this occurs before the bold judgments occur what i'm about to tell you right now one angel preaches the gospel to all the world and tells them how to be saved so already even though all this judgment is going on god is still putting out the gospel into the world basically saying hey if you repent you may still go through a heck of a time, but you're, you're going to be saved. And a lot of people are said that they refuse to repent. They curse God and all this and that. The second angel mentioned in chapter 14 uh, proclaims that fallen is Babylon the great. Now, this is the world system in general. It's a symbolic way of talking about the world system and all the sin that is hoisted up over God that they try to make in place of God, basically like the Tower of Babel, they will make a name great for themselves, and in which basically goes after the imitation that Satan wants to imbue as detailed in Isaiah chapter 14, quote-unquote, I will be like the Most High. The third angel proclaims that those who worship the beast and receive his mark will be tormented forever in the lake of fire. Now, this is important to note because this is the ultimate rebellion against god you are basically giving god the middle finger you're worshiping his arch enemy satan and not only that but you take the mark of the beast now it's said true that you can't buy or sell unless you take this mark of the beast right however this is likely a mockery and an imitation of the seal of god that people puts on his people in chapter 7 verse 3 and this is a likely imitation of that and ultimately this is going if if this were to start happening tomorrow if the tribulation starts happening tomorrow and you see all this stuff starting to take place and you see one man who sends forth his image into the world and he demands that you worship that image oh and by the way you have to get this mark in order to buy or sell if you take it you are going to be damned in the lake of fire forever so, if you get to that point and the tribulation starts happening, I, I implore you, please, before you even consider doing something like that, please believe the first angel. Please do not take that mark. Please do not take that mark and receive Jesus Christ and be saved. The second bold judgment is outlined in verse 3 of chapter 16. Now the seas 100% becomes his blood, but it's interesting the language is used. It says, blood of a corpse. And that is to say, a body that has already started to decay and been dead a while. In the trumpet judgments, only a third of the sea becomes like blood. And now it's 100%. When we're talking about the sea, we're talking about the oceans, right? So it's like, okay, well, that's salt water. We can't really drink that. That's going to make conditions incredibly horrible on the earth, but at least we still have fresh water, right? Well, (laughs) let's get to the third bowl judgment that's detailed in verses four through seven of chapter 16 now the fresh water supplies also become 100 percent blood and this is done and this is a direct quote for quote unquote they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink it is what they deserve now keep in mind people can only survive about three days without water and this is going to go on i'm sure for a lot longer than three days so likely this is going to lead to a lot more deaths, and we're not really given a number here, but what's, what's even more, I hate to use the word interesting, but for lack of a better term, in verse 7, the proclamation of how just this judgment is, is given. Likely because, you've got to figure, God has now turned all the water on earth into blood. There is no more water to drink. At this point in the tribulation, you're going to die very, very, very quickly. And so the Holy Spirit wanted the the Apostle John, who was writing this down, to really know that this was going to be a just and rendered judgment. If we already talked about that the soul that sins shall die, that for nearly 2,000 years the gospel has gone forward, into the world and especially now in the last 20 years with the proliferation of the internet the tribulation hasn't happened yet if you still haven't received christ and you get to this point if the tribulation again were to start tomorrow and if you get to this point the judgment is indeed just and there is a lot of evidence to convict and that we'll we'll go over that in a couple weeks The fourth bowl judgment is outlined in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 16, and the sun is given the power to scorch people with fire and fierce heat. I was talking about in the very first episode of tumultuous times that I believed in these signs in the earth and the sky and the weather and all that, the global warming, or well, actually climate change, I guess is likely playing into the end time scenario and this is why i believe that i believe that to some degree this is probably caused by climate change but given the nature of the language languages used and the severity of this judgment likely too it very well could be a stripping away of the ozone layer and the atmosphere is rendered with the ability to be able to irradiate people because that's the language that's used and most likely people will start spontaneously combusting given the language that's used and yeah, again, this is really hard to talk about, but this is the, the, these are the judgments that are outlined in the book of Revelation. And, and to be quite honest, while the hour of salvation is here, I just beg you to please take it. I beg of you to please. There will be a segment after this podcast is finished about how to receive Christ for eternal life. I also have a link in my bio for this podcast that leads to a wordpress blog that details exactly how you receive eternal life and it is simple as believing you just believe and receive jesus christ as your lord and savior thereby turning away from your life of sin and you take upon the sacrifice of christ for yourself into your life the bible says that if you believe in your heart that jesus was raised from the dead and you proclaim as, him as lord you will be saved we're only at the fourth bold judgment here, and I'm just compelled to tell you that. So, moving on in the fifth bold judgment that's outlined in verses 10 through 11 of chapter 16, the throne and kingdom of Antichrist is thrown into darkness. Now, this is interesting. Again, I hate to keep using that word, but it's interesting only because it alludes to something else. This likely alludes to the same plague or style of the plague of darkness that fell upon Egypt in the book of Exodus. Okay, In Exodus chapter 10, verse 21, it described that the darkness that could be felt. And the reason why I think it alludes to that, and it's the same kind of darkness, is because later in the verses of Revelation 16 and verses 10 and 11, it says that they gnawed their tongues for the anguish they were experiencing. So it seems to be that it wasn't just simply that it was so dark they couldn't see anybody. It was just simply it, – it, it was a palpable darkness. It was it was a darkness that they could feel. Moving on into the sixth bowl judgment that's outlined in verses 12 through 16 of chapter 16. It is said the great River Euphrates is dried up to make way for the kingdom, I'm sorry, the kings of the East to be gathered at a place called Armageddon in verse 16. And it's always interesting because people say this is Armageddon or the Bible calls this day Armageddon, as was in that movie that came out in 1998. Well, no, an asteroid coming to to Earth and whatnot for a single extinction event, and then that's it, done. We're we're out of here, kind of thing. We're we're, we're all dead. No, what what Armageddon? What, what's said about Armageddon is that it's a place. It is a physical place. So, in other words, I could say I'm going to Dallas tomorrow. I could also rightfully say I'm going to Armageddon tomorrow. So the language that's used is i believe a word in the he, in the i'm sorry the greek called harmegiddo and it means hill of megiddo hills of megiddo and it exists today and some of the video i've seen of it it is just this wide expanse of a um a land that's there and i believe that alexander the great at one point when he saw it said this is a great tactical battlefield so it's quite interesting that everybody is gathered here And they're gathered there, in essence, at the behest of God's allowance. And see, this is important to note, too. They're not there. And it's said, basically, that um, the kings of the east come forth, and they're all gathered in one place to make battle. They're not there to battle each other. Know who they're there to battle against? Jesus Christ. They're there to battle against God. So you can think of this in, if you're going to put pop culture terms on it, it's the Avengers assembling to battle against Thanos and his armies. Here's the difference, though. That's where this, that allegory totally falls apart. Thanos wasn't the the creator that created and spoke the universe into existence. Thanos wasn't the almighty creator that created us out of dust of the earth. God, Thanos isn't the one who then gives a sacrifice for Adam and Eve so that they can still live and not be subject to immediate judgment, and so on and so forth. Thanos didn't give his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then for 2,000 years, the world largely spits in God's face. They're there to fight against God because of all the judgments that have been falling. And... These are armies and forces that are energized by demonic forces that come from the Antichrist, Satan, and the false prophet. I made allusions in the Antichrist episode how it is said that it is believed that this is a false trinity that Satan himself creates in the vein of what he said that's outlined in Isaiah 14. I will be like the most high. And this is Satan's moment to try to finally defeat God and to accomplish that goal. The interesting thing is and we'll talk about this next week is the return of christ totally decimates satan and all the forces that are there simply by a spoken word the the bible says the sword of his mouth because in another verse in in hebrews it says the word of god is living and active uh sharper than any double-edged sword right and we'll cover all that the return of christ next week and we'll talk about the battle of armageddon and all that So we get to the last bold judgment that's outlined in verses 17 through 21 of chapter 16. And in this, in verse 17, it says the wrath of God is complete. Again, this is the wrath of God. It's not the wrath of man. It's not the wrath of Satan. It's all the wrath of God that's poured out on the earth. And an even worse earthquake occurs. Worse than even the one in the sixth seal judgment. Jerusalem is said to be split into three parts all the rest of the cities of the earth fall so new york la chicago paris rome uh, hong kong tokyo they're all gone all of the cities of the earth fall i already said that i'm sorry babylon the world system and the antichrist kingdom also falls so basically God totally wipes out all the accomplishments of man, all of the things that man has done in defiance against God. He is totally taking care of basically sin and judged it harshly because it demands a harsh judgment. And he's also totally judged and taken out Satan and his kingdom as well. Last part of this bull judgment is 100 pound hailstones fall. And it is said that people curse God because of the severity of the plague of hailstones." So all of this, as a result of the world for the last 2,000 years especially, but also throughout history, has largely rejected God and, as I already said, for the last 2,000 years has largely rejected Jesus Christ and the free offer of salvation that he gives to the world. It's the most expensive free gift you'll ever receive because it is free to receive, but it costs the believer everything. But it is totally worth it because we fulfill our purpose. We were created to fellowship with God, but it also just avoids all of this. And it's not so much a factor of receiving eternal life because you want to avoid this. Sure, that's part of it, but we're created for fellowship with god and to enjoy him forever and to enjoy the things that he wants to give us it's not so much a factor of i'm just trying to get my get out of hell free card per se sure that's part of it and that's what motivated me to become a believer in jesus christ i outlined in my very first podcast that i always had this impending sense of doom in my life prior to receiving christ and that's what motivated me. That's what made me receptive to hear what my friend had to say about witchcraft when I when I was curious about it, when I when I wanted to learn more about it and actually start practicing it myself. He told me, "No, you don't want to do that because I shouldn't even be doing it. I was raised to believe that Jesus lived the perfect life, he died for my sins, and he rose from the dead, and by believing in him, I could have eternal life." I'd If I'd ever heard that before in my life, previous to that moment, it never clicked until that moment. And I'm hoping and praying that right now you're hearing this podcast wherever you are and whoever you may be, and maybe you're having one of those moments. Maybe you're thinking, I need to receive this gift of eternal life. I, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to experience any of this. I want to do what it is you've been telling me I need to do this whole time. So how do I do that? That's going to be my next segment coming up here in a few seconds. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life and I wanna follow you the rest of my days Jesus name I pray amen that's all you need to do And your life will change your life will change not necessarily materially not necessarily in terms of the world but your life will change as far as your relationship with God and you can know for certain that you're saved The Apostle John wrote that when he was penning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of A Disciple's Tidbit. Today, I wanted to get something out into the world, whether just one or 1,000 people listen to this. It really doesn't matter. But I wanted to get my thoughts out into the world about something that's coming through our Congress right now called the Equality Act, okay? Mm. And what this is designed to do is designed to expand the rights in the United States of America to people of sexual orientation and gender identity, okay? And those of the LGBTQ Forgive me, I I don't remember all the letters, but basically the LGTL... I, I can't even say it. It just trips me up every time. But anyway, um, the you know people in the gay community, lesbian community, transgendered, etc. Um, forgive me if that offends you, but again, this is almost like onomatopoeia. I can't really say it. At any rate, so this legislation, I actually had a chance to read the actual law. Now... I have the ability to be able to read quote-unquote legalese and understand it pretty much to a good degree. I'm not a lawyer, but I can read it well enough. My brain works that way where I can understand it. Here's the deal. I don't think that the Democrats who are pushing it through and all the Democrats in the House of Representatives, of course, voted in favor of it. Now it's on the floor of the Senate where it's going to get duked out. I don't think that the Democrats who pushed it through we're sitting here like Dr. Evil in Austin Powers going, we're going to destroy religious freedom. I don't think that was it. However, well, let me get to that in a second. I think what they're intending to do is strictly in their minds, they see a lot of discrimination against those of the LGTBQ community. And they want to seek to curtail that. They want to try to extend civil rights to all people, all walks of life, even if it is just one half of 1% of the population with the trans community. I don't know if that's an actual statistic, but that's what I've seen on Google. So take that for what it's worth. At any rate, they want to expand civil rights, okay? The thing of it is, is that... I can't remember specifically what they call it, but establishments and the way they've defined it can extend to churches, okay? The reason why that's significant is because this legislation would prohibit establishments from discriminating against somebody for their sexual orientation or their gender identity. The reason, again... Going a little deeper why that's significant is because a lot of churches still believe that marriage is between one man and one woman and that rejecting one's biological sex in favor of a different gender identity is rejecting God's design in your life and therefore is sinful. Can you see where this is going? And the thing of it is, and I predicted... That gay marriage in 2013 is when I made this prediction. Again, I have a mind for legalese. I can understand it. I rightly predicted, for better or for worse, that gay marriage would be legalized by the Supreme Court, and it came to fruition in 2015. The reason why gay marriage became legal, in my opinion, I don't know if the uh, justices on the SCOTUS panel uh, actually argued in this direction, but it violates the 14th Amendment because basically you are telling one segment of the population that you can't enjoy this one right that pretty much the entire rest of the population can enjoy. But this little segment over here can't. The 14th Amendment is equal protection under the law in summarized layman's terms. In the same way, the Equality Act will pass because... You can't discriminate against one section of the population. Now, where it gets sticky, and I think where the challenge is going to come from via the courts is churches and organizations that are faith-based. I guarantee you, most people aren't going to say anything against mosques that reject people's sexual orientation or gender identity. Everybody flocks to... Uh, try to defend Islam as much as possible, what they'll go after is the churches. And the thing of it is, you'll have activist people and organizations that will try to get jobs at churches and will try to destroy churches or will try to get them to change their doctrinal statements because in their minds, just the mere factor that they exist Is just sheer discrimination. If words are violence in 2021, then a church having a doctrinal statement saying that marriage is between one man and one woman and choosing a gender identity apart from your biological sex is rejecting God's plan in your life or design in your life and therefore is sinful, to them that is violence. So they will seek to change it and destroy it. They want to see all things that stand against their way of life totally eradicated okay and it's not going to be enough for say like max lakedo who recently apologized for his stance on homosexuality in the past that won't be enough until max Licato is destroyed and his life is in ruins that's what these people are after they don't care about acquiescence they care about destruction okay and the thing of it is like i said the road or i'm sorry the road to hell is paved with good intentions right and jesus said broad is the path that leads to destruction with those two statements right there we therefore have the equality act okay and i'm all for in the united states of america everybody having the same rights okay where i kind of start deviating especially as a christian especially being a, a disciple of jesus christ is when you start looking to tear down faith-based organizations, institutions, and churches. And I guarantee you, this legislation won't be a shield to those people in those communities. It will be a sword to destroy those that stand against their way of life. And those are my thoughts on the Equality Act. I think, like I said, everybody should have equal rights in the United States of America. The problem is it will have unintended, or maybe it is intended, but unintended and destructive consequences.